0: Give God some praise. It's good to be in God's house. Amen. <laughs> are you doing all right, 9 a.m.? You doing all right? Some like, uh, of so, you like, you haven't had your coffee yet. Some of you already had a pot of coffee. But hey, I'm grateful for you being here today and for everyone here for the first time. Welcome. We're very glad that you're with us today. For those joining us online for the first time, and I want to say hello to our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Let's show everybody some love one more time if you're here for the first time. Well, hey, I want to get right into it today. I have a story I want to share with you about in the book of Numbers. We are in week four of our series, Out of the Wilderness. And it's, uh, I, I hope you're, you're learning and gleaning something from this, uh, this series. But we're going to turn to chapter 21 this morning. And chapter 21 is an interesting, um, within chapter 21, we find a very interesting story filled with symbolism. And really, a foreshadowing of Jesus. Um, we know that in the book of Numbers, um, in this particular uh, story, it is kind of it is a snapshot of the Israelites almost to the promised land. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, we are talking about kind of the living in the wilderness or the in between places. So the people of God are called out of Egypt and they're en route or en route rather to, to the promised land, to Canaan. Now, what should have only taken about uh, two weeks has taken them nearly 40 years, and it's not because they're lost and they don't know how to get there. It's because of their own, their lack of faith has caused them to just wander, and we've talked about what it means to live in this in-between place, and um, sometimes we can be there, and we don't even know it. It's hard to really move out of a wilderness if you don't recognize you're in one, and uh, this story is interesting. Because as we've as we've covered over the past three weeks, and even Pastor John talked about what happens when we wander for years in the wilderness, our hearts can become hardened, um, and we see no hope for the future, no hope for tomorrow, and everything that comes out of our mouth seems to be negative. Um, I want you to I want you to realize something. When the Bible says, "Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks." Sometimes we just need to pause and we need to listen to what's coming out of our mouths. As I was preparing this this past week, I realized that that when when we are physically depleted, emotionally depleted, when we're tired, when we're frustrated, and we don't spend time with God, it's it's incredibly difficult to be a life giver. (laughs) To look at an obstacle that's before you and say, God's bigger than it, I'm not going to let it bother me. And so we find that even in our journeys, for some of us, and I'm saying that to those who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, just because you've walked with the Lord for 20, 30, 40 years doesn't mean that you put it on autopilot and then everything is just good. Can, can somebody say amen? And, and we need to constantly come before God. We need to be before Him on a daily basis. And we need to recognize our dependency of God so that when things do come before us, we demonstrate our maturity, not in just knowing Scripture, not in just knowing the stories of the Bible, but in how we respond to obstacles that are before us. I have to tell you something. I, have you ever been around someone and they told you how good they used to be in, in, a, in a sport? And they say, oh man, back in the day, I was, I was this. I was so good. I've learned something. The, those who were really good never say a word. <laughs> Some of you are like, shoot, I shouldn't say that anymore. They don't talk about how good they used to be. Other people talk about how good they were, and I find it interesting. Even in our in our journey with the Lord, sometimes we we can talk about how much we know the Word of God rather than just living it out. And I one of the things I realize even in in the in the Word of God early on, and I have to say this because I think sometimes there's a tension between this, is. Some of us read the Bible just to read it and think that God's pleased with us because we're putting a checklist off and we should be disciplined in our time with the Lord in prayer and in reading the Word. But that should be a desire to honor God for who God is so that it changes us. So the byproduct of spending time with God and reading His Word is seen by other people. And and so I I remember early on I was very frustrated because, well... Let's just say when, when, I, when I felt like the Lord was calling me to study in seminary, I made so many excuses as to why I wouldn't get accepted into the university. One being the fact that I don't even think at the time I had read the entire Bible. I didn't know what half the books of the Old Testament... I didn't even know how to pronounce half the books of the Old Testament, let alone did I read them. And, and even though I was raised in church and I could tell you every single biblical response to the social questions of society, I... I, I I myself was spiritually anemic, I was immature, I didn't know everything, and I just kept making excuses as to why God couldn't use me, because I didn't know everything, and only the people that knew everything were used by God. (laughs) So I was like, God, you, you made a mistake, you know, it's not me. And then I realized something. It's not in a matter of what you do know, but what you do know. M- m- wisdom is in what you know being demonstrated in your life. So have you ever seen someone doing something foolish and you say, hey, you shouldn't do that. And they say, I know, I know. <laughs> but they're still doing it. Well, do they really know it? Jesus says this himself, and not only Jesus, but Paul and then James, the brother of Jesus, all of them say it. That James says it the best in my opinion. He says, don't deceive yourselves. Don't deceive yourselves into thinking you can merely hear the Word of God and not live in it or do it. And so many times in our culture we can say, no, come on, listen, I know the Bible. Well, so does the devil. And so we, we can't just say, I know the Word of God. We have to allow it to change us. We have to allow it to, to actually, we have to be vessels used by God. And allow God to use us in culture. I don't want to be seen in the same way that everyone else is seen. I want to allow God to use me. And so here they are, the people of God are coming up an obstacle. Another challenge, another detour. Let's turn to chapter 21, verse 4. You ready to get into some Bible? I don't think there's many difficult words in this, so I'm excited to read it to you today. Um, In Numbers chapter 21, verse 4, it says, They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. Impatience seems to be a reoccurring theme with the people of God. And maybe you have the same thing in your own journey with the Lord. You become impatient. You want to arrive at your destination and, God's, and it, it appears that there, keep, there, there seems to be another detour, another detour, another detour. And, and one of the things that I want to encourage you with today is don't, don't, don't act like a detour is a dead end. And when you are serving God, you need to recognize a detour when you see one. And a detour doesn't mean a long-term stop. It just means a detour. <laughs> it just means God's rerouting you. And when the building you're sitting in was filled with detours on the way of its, to its construction. But it's not a dead end. It's not a stop. It's not like, oh, it's never going to happen. It will happen. It's just a matter of time. And I really believe that it's in the point of waiting where God refines you. Where God stretches you, where God enlarges your spirit and develops your maturity. And I really want to be someone that in the moment of a detour, I can say, God, I thank you that you're stretching me right now. I thank you that you're enlarging my patience. You're you're dealing with my maturity. And God, I thank you that I'm going to be a demonstration of how to respond to the people that are around me. Well, the people of God didn't seem to deal with it that way. And it's interesting because the frustration was real with the people of God. And the reason being is Edom, um, the Edomites were actually relatives of the Israelites. And Moses had requested from the king of Edom to go through their territory. And for some of you, you may not. Well, the Edomites were descendants of Esau. So we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, Isaac had Esau and Jacob. Remember, um, well, Esau and Jacob were brothers. So Moses had requested of the descendants of Esau, "Hey, can can we can we go through the land?" And and thinking, "Come on, we we've." God has given us victory against adversaries who are not even our relatives. Surely, even though we might not be on the best page, we're relatives, you'll let us go through. And the king not only said no to them, but he said he dispatched an army to make sure that the Israelites won't even walk in their land or touch any of their crops. Sometimes detours and discouragement don't come from people who are far from us. They come from our very home. They come from within our home. They can come from a spouse, they can come from siblings, they can come from aunts and uncles and grandparents. And, and a detour is a detour, but sometimes when it's, it's personal and it's family, it's a different challenge to overcome. And some people, you know, truth be told, they, they, they live in the bitterness, in the frustration, in the anger of, of the response that they've received from a family member that they didn't want to receive I want to help you this morning, um, especially when it comes to family. One of the things that I learned a long time ago that has helped me tremendously when it comes to dealing with offense is this understanding that the Word of God teaches that we cannot, we have no permission to do this. We have no permission to judge other people, none. Not even like a little bit. The Bible says, well, you can judge a little bit, but you know, no. It says you, you shall not judge. And in the same way you judge others, you yourself will be judged. But the Bible says you can't judge. This is what it's speaking of. You have no right to judge the motives or the intentions of other people. And some of you are like, you're doing the... Yeah, but I live with them. I know why they're doing it. That's fine. You can't judge them for it. It means you can't develop a reaction and a response. Basically... You can't stand on a platform of judgment based upon motives and intentions of other people. And many people do that. They say, yeah, well, I know why they did that. I know why they said that. I know why they wanted to to go there or not go there. I know. The Bible says that you're not permitted to actually judge that person in that way. Why? Because it's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. And the moment you judge someone else's heart, I want you to hear this. You've literally submitted yourself to be locked in shackles. I want you to hear this. You've literally submitted yourself to be locked in shackles. And I know it's, like, it's weird to think of that, but when you judge someone else's heart and you do something that the Bible tells us not to do, being disobedient to the Word of God, you've actually chosen to walk in sin before God. And so even if you know, like I've heard people say this, no, I just know, like, Pastor, I know. I know why they did it. I know why they said it. I know why they posted it. I know why they sent the text. I know why they made the call. I know they're trying to start trouble. They're trying to do this. That's fine. Forgive. Hold no record of wrong. And keep moving forward with Jesus. The moment you stop in your journey with the Lord and begin judging other people is the moment you become stuck in the wilderness like the people of God. Complaining, negative, bitter, frustrating, never willing to forgive, always blaming other people for the consequences or the outcomes of your situations. But we, we are called not to be people who hold grudges against people. We're called to forgive and forget. Can somebody say amen? This is quiet amen this morning. It's like, yeah, amen, pastor. (laughs) Verse 5, it says that they spoke against God and against Moses. Those closest to them became their targets. Have you ever found that when people are frustrated because things didn't happen the way they wanted to, that even they attack the people that are closest to them? They say to Moses, and then they say, why have you brought us out Why have you brought us out here, out of Egypt, to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. Here it is now. They have bread, and they have water. There's no bread. There's no water. This food is crap. It doesn't say that. It says, and they detest the miserable food. (laughs) But that's what they're thinking. Everything's a problem. Everything's a problem. We don't like the, the, the water's not filtered. It's not, the food isn't good, like, but God's providing it. We don't have to work for it. He's sending it. He's sustaining them. It's, nothing's good enough. Isn't it interesting? The, the food and the water had nothing to do with the detour. Nothing. We do this. When we're frustrated and things don't happen and a situation unfolds, isn't it interesting that that situation all of a sudden becomes a... Everything is horrible. Everything's, I don't even like my job. I don't like my house. I don't like my car. Like, wait, this had nothing to do. I know, but I don't care, I don't like it all. It's all everything's a problem. No one's my friend, no one likes me, no one even cares about me, no one's called me, and (laughs) the enemy wants you to be in that place. That's where he strives to keep you. Because if he can keep you there, I want you to hear this if he can keep you there, he knows that you'll never give life to someone else. You'll never give life to someone else. You'll spend all your life consumed with what you don't have that you'll never be able to breathe life into someone else's brokenness. And that's why God chooses us as vessels, conduits of faith and hope and life so that we can breathe life and hope into other people that are around us. But the moment we become self-absorbed with everything that's going on in our own life, we cease to have the ability to invest into other people. The Israelites took their bitterness and their frustration on those closest to them. It's fascinating to me because... By this point, most of the people who were above 20, remember the scriptures say everyone who was above 20 and up, would die in the wilderness. But at this point, most of them have died. And scripture teaches us that Moses, remember Moses and Aaron, they they themselves are prohibited from going into the promised land because they were disobedient to God in striking the rock. The only ones who were permitted to go into the promised land were those who were 20 years and under when the spies went into the promised land early on in this journey, and Joshua and Caleb the only ones. But yet it didn't matter. They still began to accuse Aaron and Moses. In verse six it says, then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. My wife would go nuts. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. It's fascinating because the serpent was a symbol of sin. More than just a literal snake that came amongst the people. It was symbolic of sin. It had permeated the camp. And yes, the real poison of the snake had come upon the people and it had physically killed them. But poison was, it was not just the poison from the snake that was amongst the people, it was the poison of despair, of misery, of apathy, of brokenness, hopelessness, a lack of faith. The poison had spread amongst the people. In the same way the negative report when the the spies came back, the same thing happened, the poison spread amongst the people. Do you know that, that that sin is the problem? Sin is a disease. Sin is like a cancer. And it spreads. And I believe that this is more than just a literal demonstration of what happens when we're disobedient to God. It is a, a, a symbolic, in a way, a symbol of what sin does. It causes pain and death. It causes pain and death. But one of the things that, that gives a glimmer of hope and an, a, a sense of of man, I think they're getting it, is, is that verse right in the middle there when it says they came to Moses and said, we have sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. I want you to know something, that all of us are going to struggle with things in our journey with the Lord. Those who hide them, hide the things they struggle with, will never ultimately have a victory over it. And I want you to know that. Because that which you hide from God, He can never ultimately heal. But if you bring forth things to God and place it at His feet, He can heal it. He can restore it. He can give life to it. And restoration is so important and healing is so important in order for you to continue forward in your journey with God. But the people finally, even in their ignorance, in their bitterness, and in their frustration, they recognize that they've done something wrong. And whenever any one of us falls or we we fail or we do things that we shouldn't do, let us not just keep moving on and acting as if nothing happened. Let us come to the Lord first and say, God, forgive me for what I've done. I've done things wrong in your eyes and I've been disobedient to you. Forgive me. The Bible says that he is faithful to forgive those who call upon the name of Jesus. And so we come first to the Lord and say, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. And my friend, unless you ask for, unless you repent before God, unless you ask Him to forgive you, you are spiritually stuck in that place. You won't move. You won't grow. I've heard Christians say this before. Listen, I, I know, I know, but I can never forgive. You won't move from that place. You'll be stuck there spiritually. You may be gray-haired, and you might be in the church for 40 years, but, but spiritually you're, you're still an infant if you can't get to a place and say, I forgive. Why? Because we've been forgiven much. And God calls us, though though hard and difficult, to forgive those that have wronged us in our life. In verse 8 it says that the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake. Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it the snake that is, and live. And so Moses made a bronze snake and he put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and they looked at the bronze snake, they lived. This seems like a perplexing and a confusing response by God and it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. God is instructing Moses to to make a snake That is symbolic of sin and to put it on a pole and to lift it up amongst the people. And everyone has the choice. Whoever chooses to look upon the snake will be healed and whoever does not will not be healed. And it's fascinating because, listen, Jesus is everywhere in the word of God. The stories of Jesus are demonstrated. Jesus himself is throughout the entirety of the Bible. We know in the Gospel of John it says in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is Jesus. He has always been. And in every book of the Word of God, you'll see Jesus. You'll see Jesus. Now some of you might not even recognize the fact that Jesus is seen in this. But this is very much a foreshadowing of what would happen with Jesus. The Israelites would be healed. Of the sin in their lives when they looked at the pole and saw the serpent. But it was only temporary. But Jesus, when he would hang on the cross in Scripture, teaches us that he would become sin, he would not give a temporary fix to humanity, but a permanent fix to the sin of humanity. Some of us, I want you to I want you to. How many of you know John 3, 16 and have ever heard that passage of Scripture? Put your hand up real quick if you've heard this. Do you know that a verse before this, before that, Jesus quotes this very passage of Scripture? In John chapter 3, Jesus is having the conversation with Nicodemus. Do you remember that? And he's sitting down with Nicodemus and he's talking to him and he's saying to Nicodemus that that I've come to to, to set the captives free, I've come to, to... Help people be born again. And do you remember Nicodemus was confused by that? He's like, all right, I'm, I'm trying to pick up what you're putting down, but this is weird, okay? I don't really understand it completely. And he's, he's trying to explain to him things. And he's saying, Nicodemus, do you know where the wind comes from? And he's like, no. He's like, but yet you're able to judge. He says, if you don't understand earthly things, how can I share with you heavenly things? And he says, you, you struggle to, to, to understand them. John chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus says to him, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and talking about he himself saying, I have come from heaven to earth, and I have come so that all those who place their hope and their faith in me will be set free. And will have eternal life. And he uses the parallel of what Moses did in the wilderness. Of lifting the bronze snake to what he was getting ready to do. He says everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever will believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. And we love verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. But rather to save the world through him. Most people don't even know that this story in the book of Numbers was shared by Jesus in his testimony or in his explanation to Nicodemus as to why he had come from heaven to earth, to deal with the sin of humanity. The apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he says, God made him who had no sin be sin for us. Do you know, I was so confused by this the first time I read it. I remember in the commentary on the side, it says this, this is a foreshadowing of Jesus. And I said, I can't believe, initially my thought was, why, why are they describing Jesus' as sin? And then all of a sudden it dawned on me that He became sin. He took upon our sin. and I Not even that He took upon it. The scriptures say that He became sin for us. For us. God made Him who had no sin be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In Galatians chapter 3.13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hung on a pole. So, what do we learn? We learn that the Israelites had a choice. And as we do as well, when sin enters into your life or to your camp or to your home, you have a choice. Do you look down and try to fix it yourself and try to seek after everyone else's opinions? Or do you lift your eyes and fix your eyes upon Jesus to know that He will be the only one who can deal with the sin and heal you and set you free? Not everyone chose to look at this snake, but those who did were saved. <laughs> the problem with sin and death is a problem of, for all of us. It's a problem for humanity. But I don't think Jesus could have said it any clearer than what he said it in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he says, I am the way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, No one comes to the Father except through me. He's setting out a path for us to follow, he's giving us direction in times of hard, hard, hard seasons and difficulties and detours. Church, he's always present. He's always present. It's just a matter of us lifting our eyes and seeing him. Some of you, I'm telling you, some of you today, you've walked in here with a real issue. And you want Jesus to to solve it and to fix it. (laughs) I I always remember coming into church and being consumed by what was wrong in my life at the time. and, And I would come to church and just be like, God, I just need you to fix this. Just need you to fix it. Just need you to deal with it. And I didn't realize until afterward that what was being produced in me in those seasons of difficulty was so unique. Like I would love as your pastor to tell you that that my greatest seasons of stretching were in all the victories. But I I can. I'm very much like you. That when things are difficult and expectations don't go as I, I wanted them to and things don't seem to go as planned. It's in those moments that I find myself on my knees more and more saying, God, I, I need you. I need you in this. Not that I have never needed you before, but God, I desperately need you now. Whereas before, maybe I only needed, felt like I needed God every other day and then I'm like, God, no, I need you every second right now. Every moment I need you. And so God uses this. God, listen, I want some of you to get this. To walk with Jesus, to live for Jesus, is really just saying to God, Hey God, I'm going to follow your step. I'm going to place all of my hope and my trust in you. And when I see life and the obstacles and the detours through these things, I will remember, I will close them and say that you've called me to walk by faith and not by sight. And so even though what I see causes me to live with bitterness and frustration, even at times what I hear causes me to live with bitterness and frustration, God, may I shut my ears and may I shut my eyes and may may the Holy Spirit guide and direct me. May I be a person of faith. May I trust in you. May I know that you alone come to heal and to restore and to set free. And I love this because God doesn't just stop that with you. He wants you to be a vessel. He wants to use you. Sometimes God will use you the most when you least expect it. When you're going through difficult seasons, you're like, God, just get me through the season and then I'll help. And sometimes it's in the season that God wants you to be a help to someone else. Listen, we have a growing family and all of us are going through different seasons. Some of us are, are loving life right now and some of us are walking through the most difficult seasons we've ever walked through. But regardless of where you are, God is still always present. He's always present, ready to minister, ready to heal, ready to set free, ready to encourage the brokenhearted, ready to stand beside us, Walk with us. Let the gospel move through you. Don't let it stop with you. Don't ever let it stop with you. Don't ever look at someone and be like, man, I wish, I wish they had Jesus. Give them Jesus. <laughs> Talk to them about Jesus. Talk to them about the goodness of God. Listen, I have to tell you, there have been people in our church, and I can go through them, Mr. Piatek, Mr. Applegate. There's people that are in heaven right now looking down that were with us. And they were powerful men of God and women. And my grandmother was one of them. And they're, they're, they're amazing people of faith. But can I tell you something? In their last times, last moments with us as a family, even in the last six, seven months, it's, I, I've wa- I watched something so peculiar. I watched them not restrict the love of God That is used through them. I watched it just expand. Even in their difficult seasons. I watched them say God just use me. No matter how much time I have left use me. Use me God. Let let me speak life into people. Let me encourage people. Let me pull people up. Let me pray for people. Listen don't ever look at this as just an organization. Or an environment to just to attend. Let it be a family to belong to. Let your conversations be of life. and, And be of encouragement. Don't run out of the house. If you need prayer, stop at next step. Say, hey, I need help with this. Listen, a wise person seeks out prayer and says, I need need prayer in this. I need help. Prayer is not for the weak. (laughs) It's for the wise. So listen, church, what God is getting ready to give us, the blessing of of people that I really believe God is getting ready to pour out upon this house, um, it's going to require of us to say, God, use me. Use me. Um, I'm one of eight, and I know every time there would be a new person added to the family, there's the initial joy of it, and then you realize, like, wait a second, how many more people got to be in my room, you know? How many more? Wait, they have to sleep in my bed? Can't we just get them a cot or something, you know? and, And more people added to the family presents more challenges. But don't ever curse what God blesses. When we pray for a blessing of God, when we pray for God to send the broken and the hurting into this house, you know what we're really saying? God, I've made room in my heart. I've made room in my life. I've made room in my schedule, my calendar for those who you're going to send. God, I won't complain about it. I won't say, oh, how inconvenient it is. Oh, God, it would have been so much easier if we could just do life with the th- us four and no more. You know, it's just like, no, God, I- I'm going to make room for the people that you're going to send. Can you say amen? Come on, let me pray for you. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? The last time, or the next time this bronze snake is mentioned is about seven, or well, it's several hundred years later. Israel had split into two kingdoms, the northern and southern tribe, Israel and Judah, and King Hezekiah was trying to get the whole nation back into submission to God, away from false gods. says in 2nd Kings that he removed the high places he smashed the sacred stones and cut down the poles. he broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it it was called Nehushtan (laughs) they worshipped what God had given them instead of worshipping God it's the nature of man to become obsessed with what God has placed before you, whether it's a blessing, whether it's a job, whether it's a calling, whatever it is, and to neglect the one who gave it to you. In Romans 1, 25, it says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped several other created things rather than the Creator. Let your worship be for God and Him alone. As we finish up, if you're here today joining us online and you recognize, man, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus, and I'd love to begin a personal journey with Jesus, I want you to know something. The problem um, for all humanity is sin. Whenever I share John 3, 16 with someone, um, and I get to the point that God saves us, they they always kind of look up and they kind of say, save from what? I'm good and I'm fine. My health is good. I have money. I mean, yeah, I have my problems, but I'm good. I don't need to be saved from anything. But my friend, you do. The Bible teaches that you will live forever, but you choose where. And some of you might be saying to yourself, well, I don't want to. How can I serve a God that sends people to hell? God's not sending you there. You're already walking there by your own choice. And he sent his son from heaven to earth on a rescue mission to make sure that you don't spend eternity apart from Him. And what separates us from from our Heavenly Father is sin in our lives. We cannot spend all eternity in the presence of a holy and righteous God and be filled with sin. So Jesus came from heaven to earth and He did what only He could do. The sinless died for the sinful. And He took your place and my place on that cross. It should have been us, but He went instead. The Bible teaches us that He redeemed us, meaning that He purchased us back. And not just in part, but in full. Scripture teaches us that He justified us, meaning that when we call upon the name of Jesus, the Bible teaches in Romans 10 verse 9 that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the grave, it says that we shall be saved. It says on the other side of that prayer of salvation, you are justified before God, just as if you've never sinned. You say, how, how did I do that? You didn't do that, my friend. Jesus did it. And when you choose to put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, the Bible says that you no longer stand in the punishment of your sin, but you stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so when God sees you, he doesn't see your brokenness and the sin and the shame and the guilt of your past. He sees his son in his perfection. So some of you say, how do I, how do I become part of this family? Just like Jesus said to Nicodemus, All of us have a physical birth, but we must have a spiritual birth, a rebirth. You must be born again. And how do we do that? Well, it's simple. Ephesians 2.8 teaches us that we receive salvation by grace through faith. Grace as a prerequisite for any of us. Some of you are saying, well, how do I get that grace? It's unmerited. It means you can't work for it. You can't buy it. You can't purchase it. You can't show up every single day for the rest of your life to church on a Sunday, sit in the front row and do everything that you think is right. You'll never be able to earn salvation. You can only receive it. And how does one receive it then? Through faith. The Bible teaches us that there's power of life and death in our words. And it says that if we confess power in confession that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, meaning that we need him. And we believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave. We will be saved. What does salvation look like? It says you are, you are a new person. The old is gone and the new has come. There has been a divine exchange take place. You are not who you used to be. You are a new creation in the eyes of God. The Bible teaches us that the same power that raised Christ from the grave now lives inside of you on the other side of this prayer. So come on, if you're going to say this prayer, I want you to repeat it loudly, confidently. You're not going to be the only one that says it. We're all going to say it together. If you're watching online, repeat this prayer as well. Come on, church. Repeat after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your Son, Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and conquered sin and death. In Jesus' name, Amen. Come on, church, let's clap for everybody that said that. Come on, really clap for everybody that said that today. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet. We're going to pray for everyone that just said yes to Jesus. And I'm going to lift up your families in this time. Pray for people just to be healed. And uh, I want us as a family, too, to make sure that we're praying. We're going to pray before we go for um, the people in Afghanistan. We, we have some uh, incredible partners over there, n- new partners, and we're continually trying to reach out to new people and to make sure that what we give financially as a church actually shows up there, It actually gets to those who need it. And um, what has unfolded over there is quite horrific, and uh, believers in Jesus are being persecuted at a, um, a just... disturbing level and I know that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective and so we want to pray and we want to lift them up. If you're here today and you did say yes to Jesus, I want you to know that we do have a gift for you before you go. If you're joining us online, make sure you let the team know. We'll send you this New Testament Bible and we'll send you some material as well to help you in your journey with the Lord and if you're here today and you said yes to Jesus I want you to know we want to get this in your hand some of you are like I'm not telling anyone <laughs> so I know you may feel that way and that's all right I don't want to discourage you um, in any way but I want to encourage you to make sure that you stop and just tell someone as you exit today hey I made a decision for Jesus they'll, they'll bless you with this and they'll help answer as many questions as um, that you may have if you don't want to answer uh, you know, if you don't have any questions you're like I just need to get out that's alright but make sure that you grab this Bible we'd love to bless you um, with this Bible and encourage you in your journey with Jesus is that good? come on stretch your hands to heaven let's, let's go to the Lord Prayer. listen church lift your voice right now begin to pray begin to intercede for those who, who, who need prayer in Afghanistan begin to pray for them right now pray for your family pray for your marriage pray for those who are in your world that are not saved right now lift your voice come on church begin to pray Father I thank you That you go before us in all things. I thank you that we, we operate by faith and not by sight. And so, Father, I thank you for the salvation you've given us. I thank you that you've promised us um, a second outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be, to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, whoever wants to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to receive it by faith in the same way we would salvation in the name of Jesus. Father, we lift up families and marriages in the name of Jesus. We pray over Marriage Express tonight that to... to God, may you encourage people. May you strengthen people tonight in that environment. And God, may everyone who, who, who needs to be there, may they be present at Marriage Express tonight. Father, we thank you for the baptisms happening today. We thank you for the salvations found in this house. And Father, in this moment, we pray for those families in Afghanistan. Father, we lift them up in the name of Jesus. Father, and we just declare, may no weapon formed against them prosper. May they be strong in the resolve, God. May they be may they be confident in their hope and their trust in you Father and may we as a church the same church of Jesus Christ may we do all that we can do in praying and sending aid and resource to them Father Father I thank you that you've called us for such a time as this Father may we be able to see opportunities that we can be used in in in, in our sphere of influence God go with us as we go today in your precious and holy name we pray a faithful church said Amen Amen God bless guys